It's uh, David Wood, one of the pastors at CA Church, and uh, we are gathered at Town Center Stadium on this beautiful, warm summer day, and uh, we are actually embarking on a new series, and the new series is called Encountering God, and we're going to be doing this over the next number of weeks. And the theme of the series is, is pretty clear. I mean, it's, it, we're looking at what does it mean um, to know and be known by God. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next number of uh, weeks. I'm at Town Center Stadium because uh, I think the track uh, connects closely with uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, so the question I want to look at today is, is a very important question. And the question is, um, what is the goal of the Christian life? What is the goal of the Christian life? And I think Paul, the apostle in the book of Philippians, can help us. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 12 to verse 21. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, and we'll go to verse 21. This is what Paul says. He says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your reality and your presence. And we pray that you would guide us, that you would speak your word into our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive and the courage to respond to what you say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, it is cold. That's why I'm wearing my hat. I uh, keep my head warm. Um, now, keep your Bibles open uh, because where we begin this passage is a bit strange. Uh, Paul begins, uh, the passage that we we're looking at, Paul begins by saying these words. He goes, not that I've attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, which begs two big questions. Paul, what are you talking about? <laughs> and what have you obtained? Uh, where have you arrived? And so we need to back up a little bit because Paul had just said earlier on in this passage, he says these amazing words. He says, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says that earlier in the passage. So what's he talking about? Well, basically he's saying this, is that he's considering everything, everything, nothing 
compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Um, his deepest desire, his deepest desire is to know and be known by Jesus. And, and, and anything, anything, all of his accomplishments, which were quite notable, meant nothing. All of his identity, which was pretty significant, meant nothing. None of it mattered compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And I think, you know, it's easy to move on from there, but it's a good question for you and I to ask ourselves. Um, is this our desire? Is our desire, um, with all of our soul, to experience the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord? Lord, may that be our prayer. May that be our desire. So with that in mind, look, look at verse 12. So Paul says, not that I've obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, my desire is to know Jesus. Um, my desire is to know his surpassing worth. Uh, my desire is to experience the power of his resurrection. All these things. And then he asks the question, he goes, have I arrived there yet? He goes, no. No, not yet. I haven't arrived there yet. But he says, in the meantime, what I want to do is press on. I want to press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has already laid hold of me. And so his, his desire is, is, is to press his entire life towards knowing Christ deeply. And it's a reminder to us that the goal of the Christian life, the goal of the Christian life is Christ. It's nothing else. The goal of the Christian life is Jesus Christ. And it's so important to get because a lot of people look at the Christian life as saying, you know, I, you know, I maybe prayed a prayer or I, I asked Jesus into my life or I asked Jesus into my heart. And what that means is when I die, I get to go to heaven. And so in the meantime, I just carry on with my life. But the insurance policy is this, that when I die, I don't, you know, I, I, get, to go, I get to go straight to heaven. But that misses the point. That misses not just what our passage is saying, it misses what the entire Bible says, which is namely this, that um, eternal life begins now. That our life with God begins now. Our experience, our encounter with God begins now and carries on for eternity. And so there's no place for this, you know, I'll just put in my time and then I'll die and then I get to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. So Paul says these words. He says these really cool words. He says, um, he says in verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. I haven't arrived yet. He goes, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God had called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Paul says we are to press on toward the goal. Um, and to press on toward the goal means, one, we need to forget what lies behind. Now, this is an important part because what does that mean? What does it mean to forget what lies behind? Sometimes I hear Christians say that, well, you know what? Um, because of what Jesus did on the cross, all the things I've done in my past, all the things, um, I'm just to forget about them. Uh, because they've been forgiven. Now, on one hand, it is true. All of the things we've done that we shouldn't have done and things we didn't do that we ought to have done have been nailed once and for all on the cross through the work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. 
But to forget what lies behind does not mean to erase our past. And the reason why I say that is because our past shapes us. Our past is part of who we are. And I've done a lot of things in my past that I wish I hadn't have done. But you know what? To remember them actually helps me remember a couple things. It, re it reminds me of my story, um, you know, my entire story, who I am. Uh, but it also reminds me of God's grace because when I think about what he's done for me and when I even re linger on some of the things that I wish I hadn't done and realize that, that God has forgiven me for that, man, that just draws me deeper and deeper to appreciate and to, uh, to love his grace, right? So to forget what lies behind does not mean to erase your past. So what does it mean? What is Paul saying? Well, I think he's saying this. He's saying, don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in the past. And there are a couple ways you and I can get stuck in the past. Um, we can get stuck with our past failures, but we can also get uh, stuck in our past successes. Um, and so one way we get stuck is in our past uh, failures. And, and you think about Paul, <laughs> if anybody who could get stuck with his past failures, it would be Paul. I mean, he was a blasphemer, he persecuted the church. Um, and the question is, how, Paul, could you even live with yourself? Um, and I think a lot of people, um, they struggle like this. I mean, a lot of people, they look at their past and they get stuck there. Because maybe they, they, they linger on a decision that they made that they wish they hadn't have made or an opportunity that they never took. And I know people like this, and, and I can fall into this, where you can get stuck in, in, in the past, and you relive scenarios over and over again, and you think, man, if only I had taken advantage of this, or if only I hadn't said this. I know many times I, I look back at my past, and I think, man, I wish I hadn't said what I said at that time. But here's the thing, you don't get stuck there. You don't get stuck there. You don't get stuck on, um, if you're a parent, you don't get stuck on your bad parenting moments because man, you'd be stuck there for a while. I, I can think of many bad parenting moments. I was thinking about this this past week. I was thinking about this, this, this one glorious parenting moment that I had, or inglorious, is uh, my poor son, Matthew, when he was just young, he was learning to ride a bike and he's biking without uh, training wheels. And, and we're uh, at this camp and a bunch of the kids are about Matthew's age, we're all going down this big hill. And Matthew's too nervous to go down. And I'm like, Matthew, and I thought this would be the great you know, parenting moment. I said to Matthew, I said, you got this. You got this, you can go down the hill. And Matthew's like, no, I don't want to. I'm like, Matthew, you can go down the hill. And he says, no, I don't want to. I'm like, Matthew, you got this. I figured he'd be just, you know, right out of the movies. He's going to do it and it's going to be glorious. And, and finally Matthew says, all right, I'll do it. I said, yes, well done. And I was just picturing it. And, and he goes down the hill and I'm like, glory. And he hits a rock. <laughs> he hits a rock and he goes flying through the air and lands face first in the mud. <laughs> and he tells me, I told you I shouldn't have done this. And I thought about it. Uh, that was not a great parenting moment. And uh, many of us have those moments in our past. Um, and and you, it's easy to get stuck there. Paul's saying when he says, forget about what lies behind is just don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in your past failures, but also don't get stuck in your past successes. And I wonder if there's part of what Paul is saying is he's saying directly to the church in Philippi, um, a, a lot of uh, the members of which uh, were, were Jewish saying who, who would be stuck in the past, which would be, you know, we're stuck with the authority of the Torah. We're stuck with the authority of, of the law. And Paul's saying, why would you get 
stuck in the path. Why would you get stuck in the Torah? Wouldn't you now you have Jesus Christ? And so um, don't get stuck, not just in your past failures, but don't get stuck in your past successes. And here's the thing, I know a lot of churches that get stuck in past successes. Um, I, I was part of a church a long time ago uh, that um, it, it wasn't doing that well at that time. And, and the older people in the church would say, you know what, this church back in the day, there used to be chairs lined up and down the aisle. We had this flourishing TV ministry. It was a glorious church, but there weren't that many people there at the time. And sometimes churches can get stuck in past glories and never move on. And so Paul is saying, do not get stuck in the past. Forget what lies behind and look forward to what lies ahead. And then look what he says in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so he says, what matters is where you fix your eyes, where you fix your attention. And so the image he uses is that of an athlete running a race and where every muscle, every nerve is focused on one goal and that is to win the prize. And so Paul says, uh, he's essentially saying, don't get distracted in the race. Don't get distracted. Don't, you know, forget what lies behind. Fix, fix your eyes straight ahead. And I was reminded of um, kind of a famous race that took place in Vancouver. I think it was in 1954. And it was a famous race because it, it involved a guy named um, Roger Bannister and um, another guy named John Landy. And these guys were both pretty quick. Bannister had just broken the four-minute mile. Landy was pretty quick, too. And so this famous race takes place in Vancouver. I, somebody told me it was at Swangard Stadium. Um, I'll trust that's where it was in, in 1954. Um, but during the race, Landy was winning the race almost from start to finish. And, but there's this key moment in the run. He's running banisters just right behind him, right behind him, right behind him. And there's a key moment where Landy, he looks over his shoulder, and he looks over the wrong shoulder, and Bannister passes him and wins the race. And I think there's a statue downtown Vancouver commemorating this. And um, most athletes will say that when you're running a race, you don't look back. The moment you look back, it slows you down. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Don't get distracted in the Christian life. Our eyes need to be fixed on the prize, on the finish line. And, and in some ways, this is where some analogies can break down because it's easy to look at this passage where Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's easy to take that passage and to kind of misread it and think that the Christian life is straining and striving in order to attain salvation or it's straining and striving in order for God to be happy with us. And uh, that's not the case at all. In fact, what Paul says next is absolutely key. He says in verse 15 and 16, he says, all of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear for you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. This is key because Paul says these words, live up to what you've already attained. Um, if you think the Christian life is you straining and striving in order to somehow win God's love, you're in a lot of trouble. You've removed the cross. And if you want to understand the gospel, if you want to understand the good news of Christianity, it's this. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection, by the grace that we received and we respond by faith, you and I are transformed. We, we go, we, we're new creations. We go from being dead to being alive, from being lost to being found. And in, in God's eyes, in God the Father's eyes, we are holy and righteous, that we are being reconciled to the Father. We are adopted sons 
sons and daughters. We are deeply, deeply loved. That is who we are. That is our starting point. And then Paul says this, okay, this is who you are. This is who you are. Live up to who you are. Live up to what you've already attained. Now this is key because our starting point is grace. Our starting point is love. And we live up to that. We live in response to that. If you, if you switch those around, you're dead. You're, you're toast. Um, because it just works. You're, you're, you're trying to earn God's love and no amount of work is going to get you there, right? And so Paul makes that point. He says, yes, we strain and we pursue Jesus, um, but our starting point is love and acceptance, right? And that's really key to understanding what Christian life is all about. And then Paul says something really interesting. He says, in verse 17, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And this is like kind of a strange thing for Paul to say because he's saying, you know, watch me, imitate me. It may come across as a little egocentric, but hang on. One of the things is that the church in Philippi, they don't have the New Testament. And so what does it mean to live the Christian life? Well, Paul says, look at me as an example. Insofar as I'm pursuing Jesus, watch me. Uh, he says, and if you don't watch me, watch other people who are pursuing Jesus and learn from them. And I think this is important for us because in the Christian life, you and I um, are not going to make it alone. We need mentors. We need help along the way. And uh, so I want to encourage you, as I, I've often um, mentioned this, but I, I would encourage you to look around the church and look for people, uh, men and women, who you see something in their life and you want it in yours you recognize you're lacking, it's lacking in your own life. And ask them to mentor you, ask them to help you in this. This is so, so important. Back in 1999, um, I remember uh, being introduced to uh, Don Krause. Many of you know him, he used to be the senior pastor at, uh, at Coquitlam Alliance. And I knew Don in a different context. I was working in Vancouver at the time. And I saw something in Don's life that I desired. And I asked him, I said, Don, can you mentor me? And he said, okay. And Don drew up, okay, what is this gonna look like? And he's been mentoring me for 21 years. Um, this is absolutely key. You and I need mentors. And here's the thing, some of you are like, well, I don't know anybody, I don't know who to ask. I don't, there's nobody around that I, you know, I'm interested in or whatever. Here's the thing, some of your best mentors could be dead. My, one of the biggest mentors in my life lived in the 18th century, his name is John Newton. Lived from, um, 1725 to 1807 and he has mentored me tremendously in, in the Christian life. So you need mentors. If you don't have one, get a mentor because here's the thing, if you try to go through the Christian life alone, you're, you're, you're toast. You need to do this together with others. And Paul says this, it's interesting, he says right after this, he goes, I've told you before and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul's just saying, you know what, a bad friend is dangerous. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, you get the wrong people around you, you get the wrong people that you're emulating, and you're in a lot of trouble. And so don't look after, don't look to people that, uh, that are gonna pull you down. And I, I got in so much trouble in my life by following, hanging out with the wrong set of friends. And lastly, Paul says this, he says, remember your citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. 
And Paul is saying, remember who you are. Remember your allegiance. This is really key. Um, he says, remember, you're citizens of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Sometimes people think, well, citizens of heaven, meaning, yeah, when I die, I go to heaven. But here's the thing. In the first century, if you're a citizen of Rome, you could be living anywhere within the Roman Empire. To say I'm a citizen of Rome doesn't mean, well, I hope one day I get to go to Rome. It meant, no, it meant your allegiance was to all things Roman. Your allegiance was to the emperor. Your allegiance was to the Roman Empire. And when Paul says, you and I are citizens of heaven, it is more a question of who, where our allegiance lies than where we're gonna go. And so he says, when you live this life, remember your allegiance. Your allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And the church at this time is like a colony of heaven, an outpost of God's reign. And our responsibility is to our leader, Jesus Christ. And we're called to pray and, and, and to have a desire where we pray as Jesus taught us, um, on earth as it is in heaven, that, that God's perfect reign would come here wherever we find ourselves. Wherever we find ourselves, we are, we are to represent our leader. We are to represent our king, and that is Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And so I want to say this because we live in an age right now where there's a lot of movements and a lot of causes that are calling for our ultimate allegiance. And these are good causes, good movements, and that's okay. But remember your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he is our leader. And so do not lose focus. Do not lose um, the goal, which is to keep your eyes fixed. You're running the race. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize, which is the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul calls us to press on. And some of you, I would guess today, are feeling weary. Listen to Paul. Press on. Some of you are feeling discouraged. I would encourage you to press on. Some of you are lonely. Find a mentor and together press on. And some of you are probably feeling like I have been lately and that is you're feeling distracted, disoriented and confused just with these strange circumstances. That is where we need to kind of refocus, get our eyes fixed on Jesus and press on. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who loves you so much and press on. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, our desire is to press on. We confess that it's easy to get stuck in the past, to mull over in our minds things that we did that we wish we hadn't have done or things that uh, we wish we had done. And it's easy to get stuck there. Help us to forget what lies behind and to press on to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us, which is life eternal life, to know and be known by you. And so that is our desire. And Lord, I want to lift up those who are struggling right now, who are, who are stumbling towards the finish line. Lord, encourage them this morning or today, <laughs> whenever we happen to be watching this. Encourage them to press on and not to lose heart. For you are faithful, you are good, and you are loving and you will empower us to finish the race ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.